Hey, what's up, guys? I am Nathan Kress, and I am joining Justin here today on his 100th episode. No pressure, um, but I am, I am looking forward to talking about all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to talk about being a dad. We're going to talk about iCarly. We're going to talk about producing and directing. It's going to be a blast. I hope you guys enjoy. Click it. Click it now. So Nathan Kress joins me as our 100th episode finale right here on the Men of the Hour podcast. But we've got oh a lot gosh. to talk about. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> We're in triple digits, Justin? Oh. <laughs> triple digits. You know what that's like. Come on. You've been on the air for two years now with yours, and I uh, can't wait to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to get into iCarly, right? There's a reboot that's on Paramount Plus uh, that I know everybody's really excited about, even more so you because you've directed and produced the damn thing. Uh, and then we'll get into a lot of other conversation bits with you here because, as you all know, it wouldn't be Men of the Hour unless we took Nathan's narrative and his life and tried to get you guys to learn something and then be inspired by what he's got about to say for this entire episode. So thank you for saying yes, man, to joining the show. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is going to be very, very exciting. Oh, dude. And your audio sounds so crisp and good. So thank you for picking a good mic. Uh, listen, I would call you Freddie Benson, but I can't because I know that like that's just your quote unquote stage actor name. But you're not just acting in iCarly on this go around. And like I mentioned, like, um, you know, Nathan's been podcasting as well. So we'll get into that. But you think about a reboot. Number one, we're going to get into the fact that, you know, the reboot culture right now is astronomical, like everything is being rebooted. But there was something particularly different about what you all did with iCarly this go around. And so I just yeah. kind of wanted to start there. And what was the big difference going into this one? And how do you feel now that it's on the air? Yeah, you know, as I've been sort of processing over these past couple of years, the, the big thing that I've realized and um, that I'm, I'm kind of trying to reframe in my mind, and, and we'll talk about it here, so I'll kind of try to reframe it in yours too. Um, I personally don't believe that this show is a reboot. Um, you know, it, when you think reboot, you think, okay, canned storyline, take it put a different spin on it, put new, new faces onto these existing characters, and we're just going to rehash this whole thing. Um, the, the term that I feel, I don't know what really sums it up the best. What I've found myself saying a lot is revival, where it's not, it's not just taking these canned characters. It's not some new person playing Carly, Freddie, and Spencer and just redoing this new kid show, but it's for the next generation we're not doing next generation. We're taking our generation and we're growing up alongside them. And we're taking these characters and continuing their story. We're putting them in a completely different place rather than just redoing what we've already done. And I think that was what scared me the most before I even said yes to doing this thing was I had it in my mind that this was a reboot. And I was like, I don't know nobody likes reboots. They get, you know, they might like them for a season and then they get tired of them really fast because they realize there's not, there's not something new. There's not a new hook to it. There has to be something fresh. And that scared me because I didn't, I didn't want that to be this big, uh, you know, nostalgic, Thing that people knew and loved as kids and had such fond memories of that we just take and try to brush the dust off and, and just do something again just for the sake of putting content out there. 
I didn't want to taint people's memory of the show that way. So it took me a while to come around to even doing this at all. But what did it for me was realizing this is not a reboot. This is them taking these characters and putting this adult spin on it where it's not a kid show anymore. It's for the people who were kids back in the day. They've aged 10 years right along with us. And so for that reason, we're able to do these adult topics, adult problems, adult situations, and reframe the comedy in a way that we never got to do before. Um, and that I think is what sets the show apart. As far as I know, no one else has done this where they've taken a true honest to goodness kids show and they've made it a show for the adults who were kids in the previous generation rather than doing this kind of continual next generation, let's do the same idea, but tweak it concept that a lot of people uh, seem to be very fond of doing. Um, and that's why I'm hoping that this kind of has staying power. You know, really all we're doing is taking taking the narrative, taking these characters, taking this universe, but we're hitting such a big reset button that the runway is, as far as I'm concerned, infinite. You know, you're, you're going off into completely new territory and the only difference is you're already invested in these characters. You already want them to succeed. You already have kind of a sense in the back of your mind of, oh, what would Freddie do in this situation? And how is that going to line up with the new interpretation of Freddy or these characters, you know? Um, it's that, and then it's also introducing the new characters that we got to have, bringing in uh, Jaden Triplett, who plays my daughter, uh, Millicent, and Lacey Mosley, who plays Harper, who's uh, Carly's uh, best friend and roommate. Getting to have them was so vital because they lend such a fresh voice and perspective to the show. And they're allowing us to do comedy that we would have never even been able to do even if we had all of the original returning cast members. So uh, it's, it's definitely so many elements that have gone into making this thing so new, but luckily it seems to have really resonated with the audience. And, and I think, you know, we can't make everybody perfectly happy, but we're doing our absolute best to really listen and really take our best shot at what we think the audience would want. Um, and between sort of trying to cling to some old themes, but also introducing new characters that are going viral literally every week that a new episode comes out with their dialogue. Um, it's been awesome to see the reaction and to see the fact that I think people are, they're okay with this new thing that we've tried to do. I know y'all heard that one. If you click play, first of all, thank you. But Nathan, I, I'm so glad I started there with you because now I'm starting to think of how the rest of this conversation would go. And I'm very honest as, as the host of this thing that I'm like, wait, you just said 700 things that I can't wait to break down with you. Uh, Sorry. We have to, no, I'm I talk amazed. a lot. No, listen, this is your episode. And for it to be the hundredth, I think you bring up an incredible point, which is that um, when you re recreate something, it's very different than re reviving it. And something that I have yet to see, like you had said, first time that it's been done in this way, even streaming platform or not, you guys could have went back to Nickelodeon or whatever that was. But And obviously there's like a partnership there. But when you think about just rebooting, you're right. So many people are like, oh yeah, we, they did that. Or like, what's the new story? Uh, da, da, right? No, we want to see you, right? And Miranda and everybody else who's on the cast 
grown up, right? Yeah. Someone who used to watch it myself too. And I think if you're listening, you probably would have watched it back then. You said about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and then look at it now. It's like a continued story. So before we go deeper in that, as it pertains to like your life and how you and the cast have kind of seen that offset as well. Um, when you think about the viewer 10 years ago and the viewer now that is 10 years older watching this new, you know, season of what the the continuation of iCarly is, have you heard from any of them? Have any of them said like, Hey, this is kind of like really cool, but also what I wanted out of a continuation of something I used to watch all the time. Yeah, I think that is probably my favorite piece of feedback to hear is uh, an audience member saying, you guys did it. You know, you took this thing and, and especially when they say like, I was so scared that you were going to ruin this for me, you know, which right, and, and that, right. that's, that's my exact fear is that that was what made me scared to even say yes to this in the first place was we ended in a good place, guys, let's not let's not mess this up for people. So the fact that we had people who were uh, willing to say, look, I didn't even think I was going to like it, but lo and behold, you guys, you guys combine those elements of, of keeping the things that I love, but also making it relate to me now. Um, that was, that was our ultimate goal. And anytime I, I see people saying like, this is what a reboot or a revival should be, you know, um, it, it's it's very uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it's just so gratifying that the work that we put into it and the incredible amount of conversation and thought and toiling away in the wee hours of the night of just trying to wrap our heads around what we can do to make this thing special and make it unique is is resonating with people and even people who were skeptical like I was at the beginning of this thing. Um, those are the people that I love to hear from the most that, that they had low hopes that we could do something like this, but that they were pleasantly, uh, pleasantly surprised. And you say work, right. And, and I can't just think that you're going to be reading scripts and reacting, uh, Freddie on the show, you also directed and produced it. So if we can go down that line, if you'll put on your director and producer yes. cap for me and let us inside your head, Nathan, because holy moly, that's huge. Uh, not only is it great for you as as an entertainer, right? Someone who's in the business and really trying to continue to be as great as you've always been. But when you think about the storyline and how much work actually went into it behind the scenes, instead of just in front of the camera, like it was back then, 10 years ago, what was that experience like? Um, uh, the experience as a whole has been a massive shift. Um, like it, it's exactly like you said, when, when you're acting for the most part, your focus is memorizing your words and relating those words to the person that you're having dialogue with. That is the actor's job and to relate those words and feel them as, as authentically and relationally as possible. Um, as soon as you put on not only the producing hat, but just the directing hat, suddenly it's not just you having a conversation when I'm directing an episode. Yeah. I'm having the conversation. I'm also looking at C camera over there and wondering if that shot needs to be a little bit more to the left to be able to include the prop that we're talking about behind us, or I'm noticing, Oh, Hey, that light cue was a little bit off. I have to talk to the, um, you know, electricians about that before the next take or uh, just, and, and, and thinking about the dialogue, 
that's not even mine to say, okay, are we hitting that performance? Is there a tweak that needs to happen there? There are now so many things rattling around in my head uh, when, when we're doing a scene. Um, the mental gymnastics of the entire thing has been a, a huge growing experience for me. Um, and something that, you know, every week I'm getting more and more comfortable with it, but it's still a pretty Herculean feat um, to do all of these things, but also not lose your authenticity as, as an actor. The easier part of that is that this is a character that I've done for so long. It's kind of not, not um, you know, it, it doesn't fit into a total pattern it's it's not just a habit per se but it is something that i've identified with for so long you know without going on total automatic pilot i kind of just know what what he would do and how he would say things you know by and large so um i am able to dedicate a little bit more mental bandwidth to the creative side now um it's it's really been uh a great process to me to to force me to grow as an actor and as a director at the same time and and this season to your point now as a producer as well you know when you're acting you're having the conversation when you're directing you're thinking about that conversation as well as every other department when you're producing you're thinking about all that stuff plus the script that just came out for next week plus the edit that just came out for last week so there are so many layers to the creative process now. Um, and luckily, you know, we've been invited into all of it, which is really a, a blessing for us to be able to have a very collaborative, creative environment where they want our input because they know, you know, we were there. So we're, we're important voices to be able to really try our best to lend that authenticity and that, and that creative force to their very fresh, new, fun perspective, their, their revamp of the iCarly universe, what it looks like 10 years later, um, while anchoring it to our personal experiences. So, um, you know, that because of that and being invited into that process, we were there at, at every stage of script development, at every draft, after the table read, after run through, we were sitting down, having notes, having meetings, we would sit and have meetings about the edits, the, the amount of seemingly mundane sequences that Miranda and I would get on the phone about to talk about for two hours uh, in this one edit that we really had to nail down to try to make things uh, cohesive and make sense and boost that comedy, but also just make sure that it's logical and it's telling the story properly. None of that is stuff that we did from 2007 to 2012. We went in, we did school, we said our words, and we went home. That was it. So now there's just this whole other set of layers to the creative process. But for that reason, I look at this show with so much pride now because we get to say, we all, we all did this together. Everybody, even, even down to Jaden, you know, she's not producing it, but she has great ideas and her perspective is awesome. We invite all of that in. Um, and then Lacey, of course, she's a friggin' stand-up comedian. So she'll just throw out anything and just elevate it out of nowhere during a take. So everybody has things that they're bringing to the table. And because of that, I look at this with so much pride because it's very much more a 
collaborative effort than it was during the original run of the show where it was much more straightforward as far as, you know, showrunner on down, it starts there, the executives are doing their thing and we just sort of go out and do. Now we get to have a say in it, um, which has been really, really cool. It, it feels like we've grown up into our roles, not just as actors, but as creators. And, and I almost said influencers and I realized that that's not the right thing to say. <laughs> but people who had influence over the process, which is uh, really, really cool. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity. We're grateful you got to do it. You, you again, as, as Nathan talks, I know if you're listening right now, you're probably thinking to yourself like, all right, what's Justin going to ask next? And you, you can, the elephant in the room is like, I have to ask you this question about uh, when you're thinking of the mental gymnastics to take your word there, words. And, and, and relaying that into what you're going to be doing offset when that, when that shoot day is done or when, when that episode is done being taped, what does Nathan, and then trust me, we're getting into radioactive dads. Cause you're also <laughs> a podcaster. I love meeting another podcaster. I mean, you just said it too, like influencer, like we can't really say that. Cause it's like, means 10 things. Podcaster right. means one thing it means we right. podcast and That's brothers right. podcast. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. Cause I know you've learned a shit ton of stuff on that show about yourself that we can get into. But before that, you think about uh, like when you said mental gymnastics, I was a former gymnast and cheerleader for a little while. And Whoa. I'm thinking like, holy shit, you're probably having to like do like a round off tuck and then round of handspring, uh, you know, forward layout for this thing. <laughs> da, 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 right. So uh, without getting too technical here, I mean, what does your personal life look like either with the fam or when you're alone and, and you're not working as, as, you know, pretty much three, you're a triple threat on this show. So, I mean, when you're not doing those things and when you're not working on the show and with the team and with the, you know, the work fam, what, mm -hmm. what does that look like? Describe to us if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to your point, uh, the, the fam, it goes from one fam to the other fam. Um, and that is something that at times, you know, so I, I have two kids, a uh, four-year-old and a one-year-old. And there are times where it's a, it's a harder, more challenging day at work. And then I come home and it's a harder, more challenging day at home where you yeah. just, sometimes you come in the door and you just don't know what you're walking into. Right. Sometimes the children are naked and screaming and you don't know why. And there's food everywhere. And you have to just sort of go, okay, okay. All right. We're going to, let's, let's just take this one step at a time and figure out what happened and, uh, and go on from there. But um, I, by, by and large, coming home is my escape for me being able to put on that hat. I love being a dad so much. I love being a husband. Having my family is a massive anchor for me. Um, and something that I love disconnecting away from work and reconnecting in with, with my family. Um, that's, that's where I want to go if at all possible with any energy that I have left, I want to be, invested and you know it's easier now and that's half of why i love this show so much being an adult and having a family doing multicam tv is pretty much the best schedule you could possibly ask for if you're going to work in the industry because if you're doing single camera if you're doing a drama if you're doing a feature for one you're probably out of state or out of the country for two you're shooting in the middle of the night and for three, there are really no limits as far as overtime. You know, you, you can, you're, it's not uncommon to have an 
17, 18 hour day, you know? So having a family with that kind of schedule is really difficult for me. I make it home in time for dinner. You know, people don't really get to do that in the industry. And that's, that's half the reason why I want this show to go on forever is because I get to do this, this thing that I love and these characters that I love and this show that I love, but then I also get to have a balanced family life too, because if my family life was not in balance with my work life, the mental gymnastics, I would, I would, there, there would, I would be on the floor, you know, that, 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 that back handspring would result in something broken. <laughs> there it goes with the term. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Terms. You have a bracken or you'd have a broken back handspring wrist is what it would be. That's right. That's exactly right. So um, that's been one of the things that I've really tried to put as much focus on as possible is, is making sure that those things stay in balance. And that's why I am so grateful for the show is they structured it in a way that they wanted even just the, the crew members, the ones who even have to stay a little bit later than we do, they still wanted them to have shorter days in a family life. And that's half of why the show has been so fun. The crew enjoys being there. It's a pretty happy place to be. People like each other. We're having relatively straightforward, easy days. You can tell that you know the people who do have families feel lighter being there rather than a, a much more grueling schedule and a, and a challenging show. Um, so that's just one of the other reasons why I feel like sh shooting the show has been so fun is our, our crew enjoys, enjoys being there, which is key to a, a positive working environment. And you said it. If anybody has a job that's listening right now, you you already know that Nathan's preaching to the choir. Uh, be it your jobs like yours, where it's like a little bit all over the place sometimes, but it seems pretty structured. It's first I've heard from an actor because you're to your point when you're in a feature, or you're doing like a single cam or whatever that might be. It's a little yeah. different, right? Where yeah. you're, as you're like on a multi cam on set and like you guys have the same place to go to. I don't know if it's a lot or if it's somewhere here in LA where like yeah. you know what I mean. And and so well, thanks for sharing that because that's actually like a different lens that I think a lot of actors are probably, you know, having to put on and off, which leads to people being single forever. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. you know, that as a dad and, um, husband now we're husband and dad. Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of dads, can we talk about radioactive dads? Heck yeah. Where did this thing come to life with you and Brett Davern or Davern? I feel like it's Davern. Davern. I've heard it both ways. Really? So will you guys, I'm going to start calling him Davern now. <laughs> Breet Davern. <laughs> food keister. Oh man, I love that. That sounds so classy. Introduce him as so. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like Swedish royalty. Nathan, and then yours is Nathan Kress, right? Yeah, Kreis. <laughs> yeah. It's pronounced Kreis. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to change our logo a little bit, I think. <laughs> you <laughs> You got about a hundred thousand plus listeners now per week. And so I know people are listening to this thing for you yeah. guys, you and Brett have extraordinary uh, stories to tell. I'm sure you're funny as hell as you've always been. Um, but when, when folks are clicking play, what was the intention there when you guys first launched way well, back? What feels like way back when? Yeah. Yeah. Pre pandemic is like just right. a whole different <laughs> world back when we were recording in person. Um, I, the whole thing really kind of came about when well, so we first we first met um, doing these uh, charity race car events um, where uh, the first one was at Irwindale Speedway here in, in L.A., where we 
we're learning how to drive NASCARs and we're racing around the track for, uh, for charity. And then we did another one at the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. And over that time, you have to train, you practice, you're with that group of people for a while. So you get to know them a little bit. Um, and you know, he was, uh, he was on MTV. Uh, he was on the show awkward. So he was kind of running in the same circles as me and kind of knew the same people. You know, we, we sort of spoke the same language a little bit. So we gravitated, I think, toward each other during those events. And then we would see each other, you know, right when we did the, um, the Grand Prix, he had just had his first child, his son. And, uh, and so I was kind of watching him sort of being a dad. And I thought it was so cool. Um, and, you know, I wasn't even married yet at that point. So that wasn't really part of my mental space. It was just fun watching him. But over time, shortly after that, uh, got married. And then after that, had our first and it got to be that every time we would go to the same events together, we would just be talking about dad stuff and relating to our problems that we're having. And there were so many times where we would go, you, you too, you're dealing with that too. And it was just so funny because there's so much catharsis in that, knowing that other people are having the same problems that you are. And, and it's just so funny because parenting it has an amazing way of bringing people together because there are of, well, there's infinite problems and issues that can come up, but there are kind of core ones that everybody has to deal with and that everyone has cried about. And then ultimately after the fact, everyone laughs about with other parents because you find that everyone else is dealing with them too. So what we realized is ultimately we kept having all these conversations and Brett, who uh, he had other podcasts at the time, he does uh, a morning show, the, the Brett Davern show uh, on Adobe Radio. And so he was kind of into the podcasting world a little bit. He had gotten his feet in wet and was really enjoying it. And he was like, you know, if we just took our conversations and just put a microphone right here, this would pretty much be a podcast. And the whole thing sort of came out of this idea of, look, you know, there's not really there's not really that many resources out there for especially young dads and especially young dads who can listen to people who they grew up with and who they kind of relate to. And, and in a way have a certain level of, I don't know, not, not like they should, I don't know why people do this, but when you listen to people that you know from something that you watched for all this time, you have a certain amount of trust, you know, in them and, and sort of a built-in relationship with them. And that, environment didn't really seem to exist in the podcast world for the most part. There's a ton of mom podcasts. There's a ton of mom blogs. There's a lot of content out there for the moms, but we couldn't really find that much for dads. And I think as I started looking into it, one of the bigger reasons was because guys don't really like talking about their feelings. They don't really like talking about their problems. They like to compartmentalize their problems and just pack them away in a little box where no one can see them or touch them. And then they just let them rot there for a long time. So what we started realizing, and especially for me, when I would just sort of vent and talk about things that were bothering me or things that I couldn't figure out, and then go to a dad with a little more wisdom than I had, because he was a few years in advance, he already had the second child. He had the child that was three years older than mine. And he's going through a lot of the same things or had already gone through them. I had a resource there and it seemed valuable to me to not only get that information from that resource, but also present that information and that relatability to a podcast audience. 
and give them something that they can learn from and that they can commiserate with and hopefully also entertain them a little bit too. I mean, it's, it's not, this is not a self-help podcast. This is not truly instructional. You're going to get pro tips. You're going to get hot takes on parenting stuff. You're going to get our opinions. We know that we're not experts. We're just two idiots sitting in front of the microphone dealing with these issues together and saying, hey, have you tried this? Or what about if next time they do this thing, you say this instead? We're just, we're just processing together and doing our best to get through these issues. So, you know, I don't want anyone to think that they're going to walk out of this with, you know, this PhD in parenting. This is mostly just us venting about our own problems and making ourselves feel better about it in a very tangential way where we're also debating whether Star Wars is better than Star Trek or, uh, you know, whether it's okay to put ketchup on your hot dogs or is it? I think so. He doesn't. So that's that's been a whole fight. So much of the podcast is us fighting. I'm just going to be honest. We're kind of dad's got to put out their frustration somehow. And you got to probably do it with other dads, too. Right? probably that's right that way. Yeah. A lot of spirited discussions on the show. And that's been the fun thing, too, is more recently we've been getting a lot more fan interaction. People kind of emailing us and DMing us. So we kind of invite them into the conversation as well. and, you know, a lot of the time it's just sort of fun, random questions, or it's just calling back old fights that we've had. But the fun thing is too, now this generation of people who are now starting to have kids who watched us growing up, they're asking us for advice too, which is scary. You know, sometimes I, I don't know, I don't know if it's good advice or not, but at the very least, when those people are emailing in, we can tell them we had this exact same problem. Here's what we did. I don't know if it's the right thing or not, but here's what we did and this was our solution. So maybe try this. It just, it became this sort of hive mind, you know, where we all just got together and just said, look, we're all going through the same problems. Let's just talk about it and have a good time while we're doing it. Yeah. Hell yeah. You bring up trust right before we got into all that. And I want to go a little deeper with you on that because as you're establishing trust, well, uh, let me reverse this. As people are establishing trust with you, right? Having watched you for so long, I would almost say those are the same people that DM you with the questions about this current podcast, Radioactive Dads, which is pretty neat. And so flip the table for a second when you're establishing trust with other folks, especially, I mean, and I have to ask this because you're in the entertainment business. It's probably one of the hardest places to establish trust, right? right? Correct me if I'm wrong. And no, you are not wrong. You know, Nathan, it's just like, you've been in it for so long since you were three, right? Three years old, dude, what? I mean, your life is entertainment. Uh, Now, I mean, you've clearly bridged the gap between personal and, you know, professional, which is so great to hear. But then again, establishing trust with other people in the business or in not, you know, how have you managed to do that? What's kind of like the process take that goes in your gymnastics filled mind when you're trying to establish trust, just so that we know a little bit more about how that works for you, because you've clearly been able to have people trust you. So I'd only imagine how that is for you on the other end. Yeah. You know, it's funny. (laughs) I think sometimes I'm a little naive when it comes to trust. I actually probably do it a little bit too quick. It's more of an issue for me that I'm trying to learn to take things with a little bit more of a grain of salt. Um, I, I'm probably too quick to take things at face value and, and be skeptical. It's funny, you know, my, I'll have this, you know, I think maybe 
It's just that the women in my life have this incredible intuition about it. But I have so many conversations where, you know, we'll, we'll talk with someone, especially me and my wife. And I'll say like, yeah, you know, I got a good vibe there. I, I, I definitely like trust what that person was saying. And she's like, nah, no, 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 no. That was, that was a great sales pitch, but no. Um, and, and she'll sort of unpack that with me and I'll go, oh yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yep. You're right. I, I should have paid more attention to, to that. I think it's just so hard because I'm such a, I'm a very interpersonal relational person. And I think for that reason, I kind of get caught up in, in the story that, that people tell. Um, and so for that reason, I, it probably gets me a little bit more in trouble uh, than, than saves me from situations. So I think for me, one of the big things really when, when establishing trust is, um, is time. Uh, and what I'm learning is to, I need to give it more time rather than just jumping straight into it. Um, you, you have to be able to protect yourself. And I think that that's something that, I don't know, especially in, in this generation, we're so hyper-connected um, and everything is shared just at the speed of light. Um, I think it's just something that we have to be more, more aware of. Uh, and, and like you said, it's even harder in my line of work because so much of the industry is networking. It's, it's who you know. It's, it's relationships that you can leverage, a phone call that you can make, a favor that you can call in. And it's really hard to know who you can trust in the sense of, you know, who is just there for you and trying to be your friend or who's trying to get something out of you. Um, and I think one of the biggest ways to mitigate that and be sure, you know, like I said, is, is time um, and not jumping straight into this full on, you know, no holds barred relationship and, and this two way street of trust when you haven't even given it enough time to see, okay, is this person fishing? You know, um, have I even given them an opportunity to show authenticity or am I just jumping straight into this thing? Um, so that's something that I'm, that I'm really uh, still having to learn. You know, I, I wish I could say I was, I was better at it. Um, so I'm, <laughs> if anything, unfortunately, I'm kind of on the other side of it which is totally cool. That's like part of life. I mean, you say learning, I have to ask you what your wife tells you when she sees someone and you see them and say, well, that's a good vibe. And then she looks at you and goes, nah, sweetie, what is she telling you? She's like, you know, breaking it down for you per se. Yeah. I'm, well, it, it'll, she can literally just pick the conversation apart. Um, yeah. And, and I think she's just, she's also very practical and it's funny because in a way we almost trade off sometimes with like, you know, she'll get, she'll get a good vibe about something. And then I'll be the person to step in and say, I don't know, you know, have we just can consider, consider this instead. Um, and, and so we, we work really well together as a team, but I think she's just, um, she's a little bit more relationally intelligent than, than I am. And she just picks up on, I think, intention and tone a little better than it's not even so much as saying they said this and therefore this is a problem. It's just, I think she's very good at detecting authenticity in a person. Um, 
that's definitely one of her strong suits. And for that reason, she's, she's got a great core group of friends, you know, that when, when, when she's got friends, she's got friends. And, and you can even knows. see that from the outside looking in. That's oh, really yeah. cool. Absolutely. For sure. So, you know, she doesn't, she's not, she's very, she's very social. She's, and I, I would consider her an extrovert, but she also has a pretty limited core friend group kind of for that reason. Cause I think she is very smart about who she really truly lets in. And especially because like I was saying with social media and everything, nothing's private anymore. You know, we have to be careful of our own privacy, even just as far as our kids, especially now, not letting people know too much about them because everyone's just looking for their 15 minutes to be able to have this hot tidbit of information to say, oh, well, I know this person and I know these personal facts about them. It's just, it's just this new thing. The world is, is just a big game of show and tell now. And so we're having to recalibrate ourselves into sort of circling the wagons, you know, and, and being really careful who we're opening up to and spending that time and, and investing that emotional energy in. So that circle does remain fairly tight for us, unfortunately, just due to the nature of my work and the environment that we find ourselves in. Hmm. I, I, yeah, I hear you and I totally understand that. Not from your same perspective, but thanks for sharing that, man. Um, as we're inching closer to the end of this conversation, I mean, oh. listen, you got, uh, it goes by a little too fast, but Way I would, I would hate to be like, oh my God, time's up, rush, rush, rush. So with this last little remainder of a couple of minutes, we've kind of been able to understand who Nathan Chris is on and off screen directing and producing, podcasting, as a dad, as a freaking husband, right? Or husband, dad. I guess there's no really big order to put that in. With all these titles put aside for a second, when you think of the life that you've built and you are, and and, and I know your family could say things, your colleagues, your friends, right? People you grew up with when you were three acting, I'm sure they're like, oh my God, I'm so proud of him. He's doing so amazing. (laughs) All right. So put all the titles aside for a second, just put on the dad and husband hat. If you can give us your proudest moment or the, the, the one thing you're so proud about yourself as a dad and then as a father, what are those two things? Because we have we had yet to hit on family, but I wanted to leave um, our audience with that today. Yeah, um, man, wow, that's a big one. Uh, I think for me, the proudest thing, um, and and it all, like you said, it all does relate together as far as being a dad and, and being a husband, because parenting is such a team effort. If you're going to do it right, it is absolutely from multiple avenues and perspectives, you have to be able to have a person to work off of um, and, and do these things together. And obviously, you know, that's, that's not always the case. And that's why single parents are absolute heroes to me, that they can still develop these well-rounded and strong children without necessarily having that partner with them at all times to be able to do this with. It's I don't know how they do it, but I respect them to just an absolutely immense level um, that they can do it. Um, but I think for that reason, my my proudest thing is when, and we haven't seen it as much with the youngest one because she's so she's so young, but um, with our four-year-old starting to see her sense of character develop um, and just her sense of right and wrong and making good choices and, and taking care of people. You know, when a when a baby comes out of a person, they are a total blank slate. They can be formed and molded and shaped into anything. 
they're very much a product of their environment. And there's certain innate personality things. And, you know, we could tell within two days, we could tell the difference between our first child and our second child. They had completely different demeanors. And I'm not, I'm not talking about demeanor. I'm talking about character. Character is shaped by your environment. And that was one of the most important things for us to really try to laser in on is get that instilled early. And some of that, you know, is, is just conversation around right and wrong. And, and for me, um, the, my, my faith that me and my wife have was a, a huge part of it. And it informs everything about me. Um, I am a massive fan of Jesus. I think he was, <laughs> uh, regardless of your thoughts about uh, his, his deity, uh, he was a very, very kind and wise and smart relational teacher who had incredible things to say about how to treat other people. Um, and it just so happens to be that I have a very personal relationship with him. And so does my wife. And that's something that we're working to instill in our kids. And that even beyond the sense of character, seeing her develop that love at even such a young age and seeing her pray unprompted, uh, it blows my mind that we're not telling her to do that. She's choosing to do that. And it, those those core things that she's going to carry with her into adulthood is so bizarre to watch and and it was scary at first because it takes a long time to see it develop um just that sense of of integrity and and humility and mercy and grace toward other people you can't really expect much from a two-year-old but that's when you have to start and they have to see it in you because they're, you can tell them anything, but they're not going to do it unless they see it coming out of their parents. So we had to stay conscious of that, even from an incredibly early age. But now that she's heading into that four or five territory, we're starting to see it come out naturally. And she's doing these things unprompted and she's taking it upon herself to you know, make, the, make the right choices generally. And then when she makes the wrong choices, she knows. You know, it, I, can, I can see her stung when she's aware that she's hurt someone's feelings, you know? Um, so it's see, seeing those things start to develop in a very rudimentary sense at a very young age, but just seeing those, those roots starting to take hold is something that is more gratifying and, and awe-inspiring to me than any TV show or movie I could ever act in or write or direct or produce. Everybody, that was Nathan Cress. You said it. That's a that's a hashtag radioactive dads moment, right? Um, <laughs> thank you for <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast, man. We've we've uncovered a lot with you, but everybody who tuned in, thank you. Uh, and and Nathan, congrats on everything, man. I'm so excited to see everything that continues to happen for you. Uh, everyone, you can go stream the all amazing revival of hey! iCarly on Paramount Plus and see Nathan as Freddie Benson. And also be sure to check out Radioactive Dads anywhere you find your podcast. We're going to link all those great things that Nathan's up to and all the projects uh, in the descriptor below. And as this is the finale of the men of the hour, I'm just glad you guys joined us as many times as you did. And if you're joining us for the first time today, just be sure to check out any of the other 99 episodes that are on this podcast platform because they're not going anywhere. But Nathan, thank you so much again for all your time and energy on this very last episode, my friend. Justin, it was an honor. I can't believe you let me be on your 100th episode. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, but I had a great time. It was a lovely conversation. You're a fantastic interviewer. And I'm hoping that I can take 
any amount of your ability as a conversationalist and leverage it into my own podcast because uh, you are far and away better at it than I am. Hey, it's Justin again. And before you exit this very episode, wherever you're listening, I want to say thank you for being here. I hope you learned something new and are leaving more inspired by the conversation you just heard. Men of the Hour is also on Instagram and YouTube at Men of the Hour Podcast, where you can find all of our video sneak peek exclusives and full episodes. Be sure to follow and subscribe and do all those great things so that we can stay connected. And right before you jump, I would love to hear from you if you would put a rating and review right here where you're listening. Until next Monday, continue taking care of yourself and building the best possible life.